How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Locked On NBA. Kevin Pelton makes his visit end of the year in Portland edition of Locked On NBA. Kevin Pelton is ESPN's stats basketball genius. He's done some great pieces on all defense MVP full awards this week that you should go grab. He joins us for the show. Today was really fun. Really, I thought, an analytical, uh, deep conversation about the NBA. We did a part two about the Western Conference Playoff Series. I'm going to put that on the back end of another podcast I'm doing uh, later this week. Hoping to have another really special guest uh, for you on tomorrow's program. Today's Locked on NBA is brought to you by SeatGeek. Use the promo code LOCKED and you get a $20 rebate when you use the SeatGeek app. Go to your app store on either Android or iTunes and download the SeatGeek app. SeatGeek is the best place for you to buy tickets to any upcoming event, whether it's a concert, whether it's a game, whether it's an opening day or baseball. I'm heading over to the Giants game uh, by SeatGeek. Uh, grab those tickets to go see the game today as they make their home opener. And all I did was I went onto the app. I looked at the game I wanted to see. I set a price alert so I could keep an eye on it for the weeks beforehand when I knew about it. And then it tells me where all the tickets are from all the different places. And that's the cool part about it because you don't have to go search other places. And then secondarily, they gave me a ticket score so I could understand where in the building the best price tickets were. I got those. Boom. Comes to my phone. Secured. And with the promo code locked, I get a $20 rebate back on the back side of it that they send you. So it's really the way to do any ticket purchasing. Download the SeatGeek app with the promo code LOCKED. All right, Kevin Pelton, always a pleasure to have him aboard on the show, and he joins us. We'll get it rolling. Make sure you click on his thing. Send him a thank you at, at @kpelton. We always appreciate his time. This is this is one of the most fun conversations uh, I've had uh, since doing this. I thought it was really, really interesting. Well, this is our tradition continues here, Kevin. Um, I want to ask you: Do you have anything that is a head scratcher? to you in the league. I have I have two things to me in the league that are still major head scratchers. One of them is the same as it's been for a while. <laughs> um, and my other, and maybe they both are. I mean, they really probably premise on the same things I've always really believed in. But do you have anything that as we head toward game 82 here, the NBA season, that is a head scratcher to you about the why the league's doing something the way it's doing and the way people are analyzing something that you look at as a, as a head scratcher? Well, I, I don't know if this quite qualifies, but I think the thing that I'm most interested in right now, uh, Zach Lowe has talked about this a fair bit, is the idea of how much control is there really on uh, opponent three-point percentages? Because this has been a topic with Kawhi Leonard's defensive RPM this season, Isaiah Thomas's defensive RPM this season, 
And Portland Trailblazers are a team whose variance has flown all over the map this season. I mean, that, and now that is the one thing that is, I guess, the opposite of a head scratcher. I've started to really come to believe that any time like something seems amiss, like there's something statistical, and you're like that, that just can't be right. Or even it's not even statistical. It's you know, Miami Heat win 13 games in a row. Well, guess what? It turns out they were shooting the best percentage from three in the league, and their opponents were shooting the second worst percentage from three in the league. That's bad. And it turns out the three point, especially as we shoot so many threes, as we've long discussed on this podcast, how many more you should be shooting then the three-point randomness is really driving things. So is there anything about that that is actually legitimate and controllable? Because we know that there is such a thing as better contests and worse contests, but can you can you tease that out of the actual result? I go to the Miami thing because I think that's really interesting. So what's your take on that? Miami got hot and their opponents happened to coincidentally get cold. Miami was doing something better. The three Miami's getting just threes. I mean, getting threes is still the key here. So they're just getting better threes for a period of time. They did something differently, and the league hadn't reacted to it. What's your take on what happened there? Yeah, I mean, I think they were clearly better. Obviously, that was when Dion Waiters was healthy, when they were playing their best basketball. They've struggled since Waiters was out. They went out. They struggled when he was out the first time. Like Dion Waiters clearly matters to the Miami Heat. Is is head, much of a head scratcher as that might right. be? Uh, I, I don't know if Pac predicted that. Uh, it did not. <laughs> in fact, Dion De- Waiters would go into my head scratcher here in a minute on pack. Okay, that's good. Um, but uh, what that was it's that stretch so different from the rest of their season where, you know, they went 13 and 0 and they're they're below 500 still for the rest of the season. So, you know, they think about how many games they had to be below 500 the rest of it. I I don't think it was as different as the results looked. I'll I'll say that. All right, so someone like Portland, who I think has a 10-game stretch where like, they're the fourth-best team in the league defending the three, and but for the season, like, 28th, and the answer is, well, they got Nurkic in the middle, and that changed everything. You buying that? I mean, Nurkic helped. I don't think that he's, again, responsible for that three-point change. And, uh, you know, to some extent, they were probably due for regression to the mean because of the fact that they were allowing such a high percentage beforehand. When, and that was a bit of head scratcher to me before. Is like, why is the like, we know the Portland defense is not good, but why are they this bad was a bit of a head scratcher. I'm doing this having not prepped this portion yet. There's a seven day old information and you know me well enough to know I can't actually remember games from seven days ago. So this might be a little wrong. But the one that's interesting on Portland specifically here is they're pretty good, I think, at defending the corner three. And they're like 29th or 30th in the league at defending the above the break three. So in your, does, do you suddenly say, well, that's systematic. They're clearly deciding to deny the corner three and they're giving up open above the break threes? Or do you say they're just getting unlucky on one and lucky on the other? But see, that's the thing is even when you break it down and you look at you know what percentage of a team's shots are open threes, usually that doesn't explain the variation in three-point percentage defensively. It, it, it is much more just the results of the same shots as opposed to the kind of shots. All right, wait, say that again. I'm not smart enough or my brain just couldn't handle it that early in the morning off of delay flight. So the, the differences in the number of open shots teams give up don't really explain that much of the variation in the three-point percentage they give up. Why? Be- because, it's, because it's random and it's small samples. And, and Either that or there's something out there that, you know, people thought this for a long time. Baseball is the, the 
comparison here because they are way ahead of us still in some ways. For a long time, everyone thought this about the ERA that a catcher had defensively. Bill James, like in the baseball abstract, 1981 or two, probably like the article that like changed my belief on everything. I, you're like preaching to the choir. You were like two years old. This was awesome. <laughs> I still have this book. This was Catcher's ERA. This was this was this like was a mind blowing read for me as a child. This this article we're talking about right here was the beginning of my not as good as you statistical analysis of sport. I think it was actually like two months old. <laughs> I punched him. <laughs> but then many years later, James writes a piece called underestimating the fog where he talks about okay i've changed my mind it's not necessarily that this doesn't exist it's that we just can't pick it up statistically and it turns out that subsequently i mean there's a lot of things that probably fall into that category that are in fact trivial or at least you just don't have control over them so you can't uh you can't quantify them in that way but it turns out that many years later uh, we come up with better ways to measure pitch framing once there's all this tracking data in baseball. And it turns out this is this hugely important skill that has been undervalued for a long period of time. So is there a, is there a pitch framing equivalent in basketball? I don't know. That's a head scratcher. What do you think it would be? All right, here's one thought that I have. Because I think we need a simple... Either I'm still sleepy because we're recording this early morning or... This is complicated, so simplify it a little bit for someone who's listening right now who's driving and they're paying attention and not hitting cars next to them and things like that, and they've got to figure out, like, what is he really telling me? All right. uh, Here's one thought I have is that we talk so much about open and contested threes, and I think that might be the wrong way to look at it, and that the better way to look at it might be rhythm threes versus not in rhythm threes. Because if you've got a hand in your face, but you've had time to load up and you're shooting the shot in rhythm... I don't think the hand in your face affects you that much. Well, there's also last night Shelvin Mack contested a Carl Anthony Towns three. It's irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, and that and that's one of those factors that might now we not, we are not quantifying that might ultimately prove to to be that e- example. I mean, you know, I I still don't think that Isaiah Thomas's height is the reason the Celtics were allowing such a much higher percentage on threes when he was on the court early in the season, partially because it's turned out that that completely, now they're defending slightly better from three since I wrote that story with him on the court. But he is five foot nine, so, you know, that does is a factor. Right, make sure, because I never stay on topic, but I want to go back to your Spurs-Oklahoma City piece last year in the playoffs, because I think this all relates a little bit. Yes. But I want to throw a specific that I had this season. So our offense, the Jazz offense, struggled for a little while. And I ran a bunch of numbers. And I found out that we went all of a sudden out of nowhere from about 11th or 12th in the league on on uh, paint non-restricted shots to 30th. Like all of a sudden, we just couldn't make a paint non-restricted shot. Is that just a we now? Is that because Alec Burks wasn't finishing? Is that because we had guys on the floor? Or when you see something like that, where there's just a and I thought to myself, like, do I tell anyone this? Right? <laughs> like, do I do I mention this? I I'm fortunate if I talk to our coaches a lot, and so do I mention this? Does this freak them out? Does this? Can you ever tell a coach like, don't worry about it? A random weird thing is going on right now, and it will all straighten out. There's no coach in the world that's actually going to let you say that to them. <laughs> so just specifically to th- let's go two parts. Part one specifically to like some weird. Advance. I think we went from 12th to 30th all of a sudden. Does that mean we that is that just the balls doing weird stuff even on a short shot? Probably. 
I mean, part of it is, okay, what were you guys last season? Do you know that? I do not off the top of my head. I mean, if it was like 25th, then maybe the the early part was the random portion. Like, you, you, that's what you need to tease out is which is the por- portion that is actually, you know, more representative of the skill. What What is the baseline? What is the mean to which we're regressing? And there is some weird stuff there. I mean, I do think in this specific case, because... There are some fans that are listening that are Jazz fans. I think Rudy got a little aggressive with what he was doing shooting, and so suddenly he was doing more than just dunking. Mm-hmm. Alec Burks was playing more, and he misses that shot all the time. And so I think there's, I do think there's actually probably a little bit of a reason to it. All right, a little bit to what you're talking about is an, one of the most incredible pieces you wrote last year, and I don't know if you remember this interchange we had last year. San Antonio beats Oklahoma City by like 30 in game one. It's halftime of game two, and I don't know if I called you or texted you. And I, but I texted you. I think I said to you, am I crazy? I think Oklahoma City's winning this series in five. I looked out on the floor, and they were bigger, stronger, and faster in every position. Like It just was incredible to watch. And you texted back, well, I've got an article coming out in the next day that would back that up. Um, or there was some interchange of that sort. Uh-huh. Ramat, tell people about, so San Antonio beats Oklahoma City by 30. We're all back on that. Oh, my gosh, the Spurs are the Spurs train of a few years ago. What did you discover about that game and that was then very relevant to the rest of that series that relates to this whole conversation about randomness? Yeah, so during last season's playoffs, had some access to uh, sport view tracking derived measures of shot quality. So based on the location of the shot, the location of the nearest defender, I think some maybe some things about which direction they're facing that you can sort of tease out from the data, and then the, the shooter's own season-long profile, you were able to use that, they were able to use that information to estimate you know, what percentage of the time you should hit that shot. And it turned out that in game one, Oklahoma City actually got better shot by that measure of quality than San Antonio did. It's just that they had one of the worst games in terms of executing those shots, making those shots that I, I think in the, you know, in the entire playoff sample that we ended up having. And it turns out that uh, number one, shot quality doesn't explain that much of who wins a single game. Shot making determines more of that. And that shot quality is highly consistent, but shot making is not very consistent from game to game. How long do you think we'd have to make an NBA game to make the shot making be consistent to each game? In other words, what you're a little bit saying is that 100 possessions is just not enough to have the... to take away the variance. Would you need a thousand possession game? Hmm. I'm I'm not sure of that off the top of my head. I mean, I guess what you what you'd want to have as a measure is when does shot quality become a more important measure of who's going to win the game than shot making? And it wasn't like, you know, a completely lopsided thing. So I don't know if it would have to be that many more, but you know, maybe two hundred, maybe it's, you know, twice as long. Uh now whether that would be a good thing or a bad thing is another interesting as question. Now an I would tell you it's a bad thing. My voice could not do two times. <laughs> no, no, no that, not from that standpoint. But, like, obviously we like a little randomness. Uh, that's why people watch the NCAA tournament. All right. <laughs> we like randomness, but there's an extent of kind of what we're saying is that there's this huge amount of randomness and fans and all of us analysts and our good friend Nate Duncan is tweeting out every play every night on every specific thing during a game. And we're all analyzing every play and we are – you know, moved by recency bias, sometimes of quarters, sometimes of games, sometimes of stretches. 
it's almost as though we're saying, like, you shouldn't be doing any of that because there's just this incredible level of randomness. What about from a coaching standpoint? So if you were back working for the Pacers like you once did or you were work, and a head coach came to you and says, well, what do I do about this randomness? What would your answer be? Well, I think, you know, in – and I, in that piece where I talked about shot quality versus shot making, I, the thing I tied it to was the concept of make or miss league, which has been popularized by coaches. You know, Steve Clifford had a, a long diatribe about it during the playoff series last year that was very timely for the piece I was doing. Jeff Van Gundy, who got this, I believe Pat Riley was the originator of the make or miss league phrase, and, and that's why you can see it in the Riley Van Gundy tree. But Jeff Van Gundy has been spouting this on ESPN and ABC for years here. So I, I think that that intense level of focus on each possession is not necessarily misplaced, but it gets down to you have to evaluate it based on the process and not on the results. And I know that's the the term process has become so loaded in the NBA now, but this is, again, a thing that coaches have been doing for decades and decades because they have intuitively understood what now we're better able to quantify. Uh, you know, I still think it's hard to separate the result from the process. It's very difficult. But, you know, I, I can't remember if we've talked about this on the podcast before. I talked to a head coach uh, in a pro sports league who said that they don't like barely say anything to their players after the game because they they think it's too fresh in their mind they want to get their mind clean watch the film again and then judge the process based on that then they evaluate and start to try to make corrections I mean it's really it's fascinating uh, I, I, I it's an incre- I'm just sitting here as we sit here today I think the jazz are the number one three-point shooting team in the NBA over the last five games like, just, they're hot. So I'm sure it's randomness, or is it that Joe Johnson's gotten more rest? Or, you know, I mean, there's just so many factors. Have you, you've stopped playing Alec Burks, who's an inefficient shooter. I mean, there's just so many factors that go into this that if I went to Quinn Snyder right now and said, hey, congratulations, you're on a good random hot streak, I don't think he'd buy it. He wouldn't, he wouldn't want to go there at all. Well, first off, coaches are so superstitious that he probably wouldn't want to hear it from that standpoint. This gets to another like really big question that that I've been considering. I, I love that we get into this <laughs> realm of the hypothetical here. Like, what does it mean for something to cause something else? Like when we say, "Oh, he missed that shot because the defender had a good contest." Well, does that mean that he was going to make it a hundred percent of the time if there wasn't a good contest? No, we know that's not the case. Does it mean that he was going to make it zero percent of the time if there was that good contest? No, I mean sometimes you know the ball is going to take a funny bounce off the rim and it's going to go in. Nothing like truly causes in the sense that you know if you had punched me earlier in the podcast <laughs> that it would have caused me to feel pain. Like that's what we're used to is what a causal relationship is. But so many things in life and in sports, it's like it increases the probability, but it doesn't actually, you know, cause it to go from zero to a hundred. Well, okay, so this relates going back to Quinn Snyder for a second. Quinn always talks about, I second guess myself all the time, but I have to remind myself that the other move wasn't guaranteed to work also. And see, I think that's, this comes up so many times in the playoffs. I always think about it in the playoffs because you know, you, you second guess coaches constantly for what they didn't do or like <laughs> to, to cite our friend Nate again, he talked about Tom Thibodeau using a timeout with 39 seconds left in a game that the Timberwolves were trailing by seven at Portland the other night. And I, I got off one of the great lines of my life, which is uh, that deck chair belongs over there instead. Like, look, it doesn't matter what he's going to do at that point. The game is lost. It's so, so many of these things, it's like 
maybe it's a 51-49 decision. And, you know, the 49, if you take the 49, you should have taken the 51 because it is better, but it probably didn't matter. We'll get more from Kevin in a second. I just want to thank our sponsors. Uh, not necessarily today's sponsor is SeatGeek and the promo code is locked. But if you get a chance to go to Indochino.com and check out what they're doing, th- these things matter. We give you this podcast for free if you can take a second to support them. So here are some of the sponsors we've had in the promo code. Indochino.com and the promo code is locked. Dell.com slash NBA gets you 40% off on their printers. That's not lasting forever. Dell.com slash NBA gets you 40% off on all their printers. Blue Apron. I am big on the Blue Apron experience. Really having a great time with Blue Apron in our house with our kids and everything else. So make sure you please support Blue Apron. Promo code is L-O-C-K-N-B-A. You get your first three meals for free. That's L-O-C-K-N-B-A. And Warby Parker, the sunglasses and prescription glasses company. I'm really excited we had them as a sponsor because I found out about them and now I'm a big Warby Parker user. That's warbyparker.com slash locked for your home try-on. So thank you for supporting all of our sponsors. It really does matter. Well, okay, so this league, gosh, we're like all over the map. I'm going to share one personal story, and then I'm going to get to the 51-49 discussion for a second because I think it's where actually the having been embedded in teams the way I am is where I think the media really fails and fans fail. But so let me go to – I want to share a funny story about win probability. So we're playing the Kings this year, and I thought Quinn did – something wrong i thought he should have fouled and instead the kings held the ball for all 24 seconds turned it over ball went out of bounds and it seemed like well everything just went right for the jazz right the kings didn't even get a shot off they 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 got the ball but the kings used 24 seconds so i went and just there was you know i don't remember the exact circumstance but i think we're down five with like 40 seconds left and the kings end up using all 24 seconds so i actually quickly went in predictable punched in the two scenarios because we're in a timeout and came back out and said as while i may be critical what i'm really talking about is the change from a 98.7 win probability to a 98.2 win probability guess what we won the freaking game we had like a 1.3 percent chance to win the game we came back and won and we did it wrong (laughs) well win probability is a whole separate discussion i don't think we even have time for that one but it, it reminds me like one of the most insightful things i ever thought i read on coaching was uh, Michael Lewis's profile of Barack Obama, where he was talking about nothing gets to my desk if it's an easy decision. Like if it was an easy decision, someone else would have already made it. And I'm constantly having to make all these 5149 calls. And, and obviously presidents deal with the same thing as coaches, where whatever you didn't choose, that was definitely going to work because of the fact that you don't have to deal with the reality of seeing what was going to happen. Well, and frankly, our biggest problem, Syria is probably the greatest example, right? Like what Barack did doesn't seem to have worked. I'm not sure any of the five other choices work either, but what he just what he did clearly redline everything else, not to get political, didn't work. So now we're left with it's just a, the assumption. Here's the one that I think back to what I said a minute ago, being embedded in a team the way I am, that I think fans and other media members really miss out on. These decisions are often 51-49. They're often 60-40, and the coach chooses 40 because the coach is managing 82 games. And I see it all the time where, where the J- Quinn Snyder makes a decision that he might know in his heart of hearts on that minute at that time was not the right decision for that specific second. But we're in December, and in March, I'm going to need that guy. Or in February, I'm going to have another injury, and I'm going to need that guy. And I watch, and it's that, and I watch with Jerry Jerry Sloan 
had the best understanding of 82 games. That was the art of Jerry Sloan, and Quinn Snyder in my, is, is equally as good at it. And to me, that's what I notice more often than not. Yeah, that's what I struggle with because I feel like, first off, I think this also applies to point guards and the way that they run their teams. Chris Paul, I think every possession he is doing, whatever is going to maximize my team's chances of scoring or the, the expected points because otherwise you never take three, on this possession. So if that's me taking a shot, then I'm going to do it. If that's me dribbling for 20 seconds and then passing DeAndre Jordan, I'm going to do it. Steve Nash was much more of what you're talking about with Quinn Snyder, where it's like, this guy hasn't had a shot in five minutes. I'm going to get him a shot. And I struggle because I'm I'm more in the Chris Paul mode. I'm like, we got to do whatever it takes right now and worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. And the the ability of someone to see that bigger picture is an impressive skill well, to me. Quinn will fight you on anal- we're 30th pace in the league play because Quinn believes strongly if everyone touches the ball, they're more engaged in the game. They'll defend better on the other side. Yeah, and that's that's a tough one to quantify. That is a tough one to quantify. You don't, you don't buy it at all, do you? I don't not buy it at I all. I see it in your eyes. That's why I said that. What is it? What are you? When you say something's tough to quantify, no, what are I'm, you saying there? No, I mean there are things that are legitimately true that are tough to quantify. That goes back to our underestimating the fog th- reference. I mean that's a really interesting. It's an interesting one because Quinn does believe that that if we if they move the ball and everyone's engaged and everyone touches going to ask them to play defense. And I buy it too that what, I have a belief in this league. I don't know if there's any way to prove this one. I'm convinced teams score eighty percent of the time after a one pass, a no or one pass possession. When someone runs the floor on offense and is, doesn't and brings it up and pulls for his like eighteen foot or his pull transition three and misses and three four guys have just run the floor, they ain't not going back the other way. Like let's forget they are just there. There is no vigor for them to go back the other way at that point. Eighty percent is a bit strong, and uh, and and the one thing. Fine, I, but let's okay. I agree with you, but let's say it's sixty percent. That's a statistical difference yes. in a regular possession. Yes, and that's the kind of thing that you can quantify, provided you have this for a few data. Do you have it? I, I I mean I guess I have access to it. I don't I don't have the ability to manipulate it to do that study. All right, we're of course going long. Maybe I'll never get to my head scratchers. What have you learned this year? All right, the, and this I think it ties somewhat to the jazz. The thing that I have come to believe in that I never previously believed in before is the importance of quote unquote getting to your spots. So like. Joe Johnson backing down, knowing that if I've got my defender here, I have practiced this this shot a million times, and I'm going to be much more likely to make it than I am from a different spot, or even if it's you know a more open shot from a different spot. So I cannot agree with you more on this. And part of it's being with Ron Boone, my analyst, who talks about it all the time. The other one that's incredible is we do this thing called pregame periscope before every single one of our jazz games. where And what we end up having timing it is happens to be right during Gordon Hayward's warm-up. And Gordon Hayward's warm-up with jazz assistant coach Antonio Lang, every, it's physical, it's hard, and every night we see two or three shots that he just did on those spots in those places and I think that's – and LeBron talked about this. LeBron talked about that the first few years you just shoot your shots and then you go and find the spots where you can make your shots. I, I think this is the essence of the evolution of offensive players in the NBA. No, I do th- still think probably people overestimate the importance of making your shots as opposed to how many points they're worth. I think that's one of those like cognitive biases that's tough to separate because seeing the basket go th- ball go through the basket just – it's, there's a visceral thing about it that you can't get 1.5 times that visceral reaction on a three. I'll go back to the – okay, so going back to our conversation about randomness of threes and what you're just saying there, and I I was, I was, had this thought and was going to let it slide. 
Dame Lillard had a weird night against the Jazz, and I think it was 5 of 20. One of the things I thought was, oh, he hit a three with Dante Exum in his face. Great shot. Incredible shot. But Dante Exum's in his face. To me, there's something about that where if that three's open and he hits it and it's easy, he's got a flow and a rhythm to him. Whereas when he has to hit that hard contested three and it wasn't a, na- you know, he probably didn't come through his natural shooting motion, but that it, it continues the four of 20 or five of 20 night. Whereas I kind of feel like that open three defensive breakdown, boom, oh, I got a rhythm, now I'm rolling. It, I think there's a different feel for a player coming out of that. I don't, against this is very, there's no statistical, we're definitely in the feel game, which is anti-numbers. Well, see, the danger of it is then you can spin the opposite narrative, because the narrative that comes into my mind is, I hit an open shot, okay, that was a defensive breakdown, I just got lucky here. If I hit a difficult shot, that was all me. See, I think it's a rhythm thing. So I, on that issue, I <laughs> think players, if players who start to play in rhythm Breaking players' rhythm to me is everything. If you, you know, the, the I think that's the essence of the Spurs' defense. The Spurs have see what players like to do and make them do things that are not their natural thing. I'll buy that. All right, here's my head scratcher. I still don't think the league understands how uh, bad bad players are. I guess. I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, I use pack. So, but I look at players that are below average possession users. And and they're they're mo- they're equally as a bad offensive players. This unique group of bad offensive players, ten or fifteen most inefficient. They're equally as bad as James Harden is good, or Steph Curry is good, or Clay Thompson's good. And maybe Steph's too high on the scale because there's no bad players in my pack rate. It's minus three. But if you go to like the mid range, really good offensive players like a Clay Thompson, like Ish Smith is that bad. Dwayne Wade, frankly, was that bad this year. Stanley Johnson is that bad. It, it's incredible to me how much really bad offensive players who are equally as detrimental as good players are benefactors to your team or benefit your team are still rolled out on the floor in this league. Well, I mean, I think that's the challenge of a talent distribution that is not actually symmetric. So what do I mean by that? Yeah, thank you. (laughs) That was him looking at me and going, wow, he has no idea what I just said. He's way smarter than me, people. So if you looked at the distribution of, like, any stat, whether it's pack or PR, whatever you look at, like, it's going to look more or less like the, the bell curve, where most of the results are around the average. It'll be probably slightly less than average because of the fact that the best players more play more minutes than the worst players do. But what's really happening is there's this distribution of literally every player person who plays basketball in the world. I'm on that bell curve. You're on that bell curve. No, I haven't played in a long time. No, my, my two-year-old nephew is on that oh, bell curve somewhere. Okay, everybody's on that bell curve. And all the NBA players are just so far out to the, to the tail of that curve that you can't imagine. So there's a huge supply of okay players. This is replacement level. There's all these guys in the D-League who you bring up, they're more or less interchangeable with the guys at the end of the bench, uh, guys in EuroLeague, some of them even better. So if you look at it as compared to the average player in the NBA, it's probably equivalently diff- it, like the bad is, is far away from average is the good are from it. But if you look at it compared to replacement level, like the guy you can actually go get, then the bad players are not hurting you as much as the good players are helping. I think there's a value to the player that doesn't shoot. See, so all right, let, well, me, well, let me rephrase that. That was too simple. No, I, 
I think there's a value to the player who doesn't use possessions. The player who doesn't take bad shots. I, I mean, that to some extent, that gets into how much you value gravity and that, that sort of concept. Like, if that player is, you know, if that player... Well, I, I value the player who doesn't shoot more than the inefficient player, is I guess what I'm saying. Can we talk about Dwayne Wade for a second, though? Oh, you're going to defend Dwayne Wade? I mean, first He's off... Kobe of last year. Minor version. Well, that, Amino Hassan coined that last year. He was Kobe East. And uh, it, it's it, it's not the wrongest thing that uh, has ever been, been said. Uh, or the biggest exaggeration. I, I think that Wade has been set up to make look to look worse than he is because of the fact that at the time he went out, simultaneously Fred Hoiberg decided, oh, hey, maybe I should actually play Nikola Miritich. And Miritich started making like 50% of his threes. So guess who had that random hot streak from three? The Chicago Bulls, who were the worst shooting team in the league, and not just because of Dwayne Wade. Uh, I'm, I only am not buying it. I, I, got, I think what you said is accurate, but I would also tell you the minute he got hurt, I said... Dwayne, they're going to be better because he's a negative like 2.4 pack player, which is huge. There's only four offensive players that are better than that. I mean, yes, you're not second-guessing or using hindsight here. You you were certainly in ahead of the fact, but I don't think that what has happened has happened for the reasons you predicted. All right, maybe. That's just you being way smarter. But, all right, if we go pull this for a second, which I'm now grabbing my computer, walking across the hotel room, every single one of these players that is my head-scratcher death player. When they start playing less, their t- Emmanuel Moutier is like the worst offensive player this league has seen in a long time. The minute he stopped playing, Denver started winning. It's, it's not coincidental. But see, that's the same. Like, the minute he stopped playing was also when Jokic became the featured guy but in their that's office. also because you know, he, maybe he's not using the 14 possessions and those possessions are being moved and that's my where I would rather have a Jameer Nelson who just doesn't shoot and is and moves the ball to those other players. It turns out that Jokic and Moutier, when they're on the court with Gallo and not Yusuf Nurkic, Adam, Adam Myers of, uh, of Locked On Nuggets, right? Yes! Uh, had this tweet last week that their offensive rating is like 127 in 600 minutes with those three guys without Yusuf Nurkic, who, because that meant Jokic was being played out of position. Justice Winslow was using 14 possessions a game at minus 4.4 pack. I mean, he was... But I'll I'll give you that one. I mean, it's really a huge part of why Miami got better. Like, I don't... Like, minus 4.4 pack. Like, to try to explain that to you, like, Steph Curry last year wasn't having that positive impact on games. Justice Winslow had, uh, it, it, yeah, he was he was really horrible when he was on the court this season. I, I, I mean, I don't want to bore everyone running through every single one of these players, but well, Chandler, Zach Randolph, Zach, Zach Randolph is terrible. It's it's terrible. He's killing them. So if they stopped playing Zach Randolph, they'd be a lot better. All right. Well, I guess minus, we have, we have, here he's a minus one point eight pack this year, which means that if the average player you I like average player you like replacement level that's a fundamental difference where we are. But if the average player in the league were to use those same possessions, or do you, they would be one point eight points better per game. Who Danilo Gallinari offensively, Bradley Beal. That's that's the equivalent good offensive player to how bad Zach Randolph is is Danilo Gallinari or Bradley Beal. Or Nikolai Jokic is a little better than that, but he's right in the ballpark. Giannis Antetokounmpo, the, Chris Paul, Mike Conley. Those are really good offensive players. He's equally that bad. His, his impact is equally as negative. I mean, yeah. I, I Again, I think 
look, some of these guys, it's undeniable that they are they are this bad, and they 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 do rate this poorly in the uh, in the overall stats. But I think that you know some of these guys who, if Marcus Smart played a lot less, would the Celtics be better? Offensively, they would be. Yeah, that's probably true. But I'm only really looking at it offensively. You then have a coach have to decide whether you think that. But I, I but I would also tell you to try to get Marcus Smart as a minus one point five. He better be one of the five best off defensive players in the NBA. Eh, I mean, his 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 RPM has been consistently very strong. All right, so then he's probably worth it. But he better be that good, is what I'm saying. Zach Randolph to the Zach Randolph piece. Zach Randolph is using. 14 scoring opportunities tonight. So shots or free throw attempts at minus 1.8 pack. If you distribute those 14 just randomly to all of the Memphis players, they're, they're, they could pro- I would argue they might win five or six more games a year. But the question is... Unless they're going to Chandler Parsons, and then, and then, they're, then they're not. But Zach Randolph, I mean, they have a lot of negative players on their team. Uh, but if, their main, if you could distribute those amongst, you know, frankly, anybody other than one of their terrible point guards of Andrew Harrison or Wade Baldwin or Tony Allen, you're probably fine. But that's part of the point is those guys are going to get those possessions because of the fact that Brandon Wright, God bless him, is as valuable a role player as he is. He can't necessarily create that many more shots at the same level of efficiency. Oh, now we're into my next head scratcher. So this idea of shot creation. (laughs) Idea of shot creation. That a player can... So Kyle Korver... A few years ago, has this incredible offensive year, becomes an all-star. He's using, like, 12 possessions a night, scoring opportunities a night. He's shooting the three great at, like, 45% and 50%. And he, we talk about him as a great offensive player. Rudy Gobert is using the same amount of possessions a night as Kyle Korver was, and he's just dunking them all at 75%, which is the exact same rate as Kyle Korver at 50% from three. He's at 70, and Kyle was actually lower. And we never talk about that as shot creation. But if every player in the league could go get the shot that Gobert or Tyson Chandler in his prime is getting, they would, but they can't do it. They're not good enough. They're not long enough. They're not tall enough. They're not whatever to get those shots. Well, I think there's definitely more guys who could do it is in that lob role than there are that could do it in the Kyle Korver role. Because Brandon Wright could go and do more or less that same thing offensively. Now, he would be an enormous drive buff from Rudy Gobert at the defensive end of the court, which is why Gobert is so valuable that he does both of those things. But I, I do think there are more guys who can do it. But yeah, you're right. I mean, vertical spacing is a thing. You need to have that lob threat. You need to have it. I, I actually got a more visceral impact of that uh, at the college level this year. I, uh, as you know, I'm a University of Washington fan. and a lot Pelton of- cast, by the way, for those people who are interested. Yeah, yeah that pres- was a plug for you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, they had no lob threat whatsoever. Their centers like basically never dunked. And that was one of the reasons, along with the fact that they were horrible defensively, that they were no good despite having the number one pick in the draft, perhaps. The play, there was a play last night that jumps out to me on this discussion we're having. Uh, a jazz player drives. Rudy Gobert makes himself available right, literally like right under the basket. Okay, His back is to the baseline. He's probably under the basket, and he just finds the gap. I think it was Dante. Dante bounces a pass to Rudy. Rudy takes a step forward and just reverse dunks it, (laughs) right? Because he's the only player who's tall enough or long enough in the league to probably do that. I'm not even sure he really jumped. But 
and we never talk about that as a shot creation. But that's a shot creation. That that's there are two players. I don't know who the other two are. Just there's somebody listening saying I can. One of our guys can do. That. I don't know who the other guys in the league that can do that are. But there's probably two guys in the league that can do it, and it's on a hundred percent chance shot. I mean, you're preaching to me. I put Rudy Gobert on my All NBA first team. I, I I certainly value him, and and brought up the question: should should we be discussing him for the fifth spot on the MVP ballot? I don't think he should be there necessarily, but should should he be in that discussion? Well, he ranks in my world the way I view it because I view the ability of a big man to catch and dunk a shot creation the same way I do Bradley Beal being able to get a three off. I might be wrong, but that's how I view it. He's a top 10 offensive player and a top three defensive player. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's that good offensively, but he's indisputably a top three defensive player. And I think he's top 10 in both like the RPM wins and my wins above replacement. He's number two in the league in win shares, which that's a that's a little extreme. But Well, not if he's a top three defensive player and well, a top because, 10 offensive and, player. And win shares does take more or less your view of, of offense. Maybe my view's right, Kevin. I, I also still dispute that... <laughs> teammates have no impact on your efficiency like look at Otto Porter's numbers I guess it's not wall necessarily this year but Otto Porter's numbers with and without Bradley Beal night and day and what you're and you're saying that's your you believe the gravity of Bradley Beal's opening Mm -hmm. up opportunities Uh, for Otto Porter well I think it's I think the reason it's Beal and not wall is because sometimes they had tended to play together with the second unit I don't think wall and Porter did as much they only play with the starting five and I'm sure Wall was a factor in it too, but like Wall's ability to generate corner threes, like guys shoot better when they play with Wall. Bogdanovich, Bojan Bogdanovich is the latest example of that. Like teammates do have an impact. Yeah, I don't really believe that that much, but <laughs> just over time. I'm going to go look at Bogdanovich, and I bet you by overtime his numbers will be very similar. I mean, I'm sure there is also a fluky element to the threes he's getting, but. Oh, we're back to full circle. Yeah. All right. Um, this is my last. This is my project. I've mentioned this to you before. I actually had this listener, Richard Child, who actually did some work on this for me. That was really interesting. Uh, standard deviation of performance night to night on points, and I thought this was interesting. So what he did is he went and looked. I think the top twenty scores in the NBA, and what the standard deviation of their output is. LeBron James is the most consistent player night in and night out of all the stars. The least consistent. I thought this was fascinating. Was Anthony Davis. Which makes you begin to wonder if part of that is why they don't win. That maybe he's not as good as we think he is. His numbers are great, but I still go back to coaches who've talked to me before. I If I'm going to get a guy averaging 14 points a game, I need a guy who's given me four, 13, 14, 15, 16 every night, not a guy who's given me 22 one night and 6 the next, because I lose every time he gives me 6. And so Anthony Davis... Has is averaging what twenty eight points a night, twenty seven points a night, but he's getting thirty eight, thirty nine, forty on one spectrum. He also drops eighteen and seventeen, and I bet you every time he does that, they lose. Yeah, that's one I'm never going to agree with coaches on, because coaches, there's so much for the what we all what we just talked about at the start of the podcast. There are so many things that are outside of a coach's control that they they. They crave consistency more than anything else. And since I'm not in it day to day, I can take the big picture that I, I think what consi- inconsistency does is it drives you towards 500. Because, yes, you lose that night he scores six, but you probably win the night he scores 22. Right, but there's, but I want my superstar driving me beyond 500. 
I, I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, New Orleans is below 500, and I don't think that's because of Anthony Davis's inconsistency. I think it's because of the fact that they have zero wings on the roster who can play through, play offense and defense. I'm going to throw a hypothesis out there that it, we probably should keep an eye on whether or not it might have something to do with Anthony Davis's variance. I just not. I'm not saying it's the primary. I think that's a factor. I think it's a larger factor than we're thinking about. All right, part one of this podcast in the books. Yep. Wait, is there going to be a part two? We don't have much. That is the great Kevin Pelton. I'll give you the uh, playoff preview aspect later in the week here on Locked on NBA with Pelton. Thanks very much to SeatGeek promo code LOCKED for their support of today's program and their support of Locked on NBA. Always enjoy them. And please support some of our other sponsors as well. Indochino promo code LOCKED, Dell.com slash NBA, BlueApron.com slash LOCKED for your home try-in and uh, excuse me, blue warbyparker.com slash locked for your home try on and blue apron is L O C K NBA. Thanks very much for tuning in to Locked On NBA. Have you found your local podcast for your favorite NBA team and subscribed yet? Please do.